phase is locked and ready to fire, sir. Illogical. Hello and welcome back to Federation Radio with me, your host, Floyd, once again. So this one, I didn't remember the title, but I definitely remember the episode. So this one is one called, well, Season 2, Episode 2, Who Mourns for Adonius? Now, Adonius, I don't know exactly, because the planet is called something else. I think I did actually take a note of what they called the planet. Uh, no, maybe I didn't. But anyway, it, it doesn't matter. They call the planet something... The planet that they're scanning has no life on it, although they're all a little confused by it because they say it's an M-class world, which means it's basically Earth-like. It's perfect for carbon-based life forms. So the odds of a world like that forming and having zero life or signs of architecture or any life ever being there is near on impossible, which is why they're here scanning it because they're like, this is... I mean, it is possible, but it's almost incalculably unlikely. So they're going over it, and then we get the worst, worst form of CGI I think I've ever seen. Although, again, to be fair, 1968 or whatever year this was, pretty good for the era. It's just literally, and I mean literally, it is someone's hand, probably wearing a green glove or painted green or something, and it's reaching towards the ship from the planet. And I mean a giant green hand, quite literally. And I think it is honestly someone's hand, like I said, painted or in a rubber glove, reaching for the model of the ship, and they've tried to use a little bit of CGI to make it look, make it look like it's glowing or like it's more of an energy field rather than just a hand. But it's totally just a hand. And it's as bad as it sounds when I describe it, it's actually kind of amazing. I kind of like it. It has that weird, almost kooky sci-fi feel that you could only get away with in like an old show like this. And it reaches for the ship, but they try and avoid it, and there's no avoiding it. They're... You know, it gets the thumb and the finger and just puts pressure on the ship lightly and holds it in position. They try and run, they try and do full bow to the engines, they try shooting at it and they try working out what we can do, but there's just nothing. They're stuck in it, and the more they resist, the more it seems to put pressure. So they turn all the engines off and they're just sort of sitting there, and they get contacted by a dude who... If you've ever watched TV or even looked at basic history, you'll know basically the look of an Athenian god, you know, the green leaves over the ears, the vaguely, not quite Roman, but it could be mistaken for Roman look that they tended to have, that Mediterranean god look. And, yeah, he's on the screen. He's not, like, on the screen as if he's communicating them through tech. He just sort of appears almost like he's appearing at the window. Like, it's just like a 3D image, apparently, just using his pure power. And he tells them this big, long-winded speech about the children returning home and all this crap. And then he says, you and all of your officers are welcome to come and join me. And when the Kirk and that sort of look around, they're like, well, first I'm going to have to ask you to release our ship. Otherwise, we're not doing anything that you request. Which, you know, fair enough, he's in charge of a lot of lives. This isn't necessarily hostile yet. This could be just a misunderstanding of a first contact. So he's like, please release my ship and then we can speak. And Apollo gets angry. Sorry, I know that's a little spoilers, but it is Apollo. It looks like a Greek god and they turn out to be correct. It is Apollo. Well, at least. (laughs) This is something we'll talk about a little later in the episode, but it appears to be Apollo. It's at very least an entity that visited Earth as Apollo, which I found very interesting for other reasons, but like we'll talk about that later. So Apollo comes to the ship, appears to the ship, and then when Kirk res- responds with that, basically trying to give him terms instead of just doing exactly as he's told, he gets annoyed. 
Apollo gets real pissed and says, Okay, I will see if you change your mind. And then he disappears, and the hand over the ship starts applying more pressure. Just little by little, and everyone on the bridge starts freaking out, like apparently the ship is pressurizing. You know, and humans do not cope well when they're suddenly put in a pressure chamber. It's not good for us. It leads to death pretty quickly, and I imagine a lot of pain even in the very quick period like they were in it. So after a few seconds, maybe 30 seconds, Kirk sort of yells out, All right, all right, we'll go and see you. Don't, please just stop what you're doing. Let my ship live. And he stops. He doesn't actually say anything. He just says, I mean, sorry, he doesn't actually say anything. The pressure just stops, goes back to the way it was. So they take that as a, okay. Now, I forgot to mention when he first appears, he invited everyone except the one with the pointy ears looking at Spock and says, he reminds me of Pan, who... I don't actually know that reference. I know a bit of Greek mythology, but I couldn't remember what Pan would be in reference to when it comes to Apollo. So feel free to email me about that. I would be very interested in learning that. I'll probably look it up later, but like, I thought that was cool. But basically, he says, everyone but Spock is to join me. So Scotty and Chekhov and Sulu, they're all going down. All of the actual officers. And... They get down there, and it's like an old Acropolis-looking thing. It's these white pillared buildings everywhere, exactly like you'd expect from a Greek god. It looks like a garden that would have been designed in an ancient Greek city. And there's Apollo, sitting in his throne. He, pretty much over their, their encounter, he tells them who he is, and tries to charm... Oh, I forgot to mention, there's a woman named Caroline on the bridge. She's When she first shows up at the start of the episode, she's giving the report about the planet, and everyone comments on how tired she seems... And he says, oh, yeah, so then Scotty goes to offer her to go get some coffee. And they sort of make a joke between Kirk and Kirk and McCoy about how they could feel his pulse raising from here. Because, you know, he's obviously into her. <laughs> Which is funny, because Scotty's meant to be much older than most people on the ship, even at this point. But um, on the planet, she gets brought with them, along with the officers. And Apollo immediately starts trying to charm her. He immediately, like, he's harsh towards Kirk and all the other characters. But when it comes to her, he's charming. He says she's like Aphrodite and he clicks his fingers and her clothes are transformed into these like ancient, I don't know, Greek harem looking clothes. I don't know what you call that style that you would imagine Aphrodite wears, but ancient Greek attire, we'll say. And then at that point, Scotty gets annoyed because he, Apollo's like holding out his hand to her saying, come with me, we will return to your captain soon, I wish to be alone with you. Scotty goes to run forward to stop this, like trying to protect her, and uh, you know, he does so without orders because he's being aggressive because obviously he was also interested in Caroline. He raises his pistol, or his phaser, and Apollo turns around and they do a really good job of actually showing what's happening. You can actually kind of see, it's almost like an aura appears around him and then he throws that aura at Scotty, which, and as well as at that point he turns and like moves his finger and everyone's phasers suddenly burn hot and bend at the end so they're not able to fire anymore. Scotty is okay. He goes into a little bit of shock and is knocked unconscious, but he is fine. He's not physically that hurt. But the weapons are out, and then he takes Caroline, and they go. Kirk does go to charge forward, but Caroline sort of just says to him, like, no, Captain, I trust you. I'll go with him. It's okay. Like, obviously, you're not going to be able to stop him. Stay here and do your job. Maybe you'll find a way to help me here. She doesn't quite say that, but that's, you know, what's implied. Which is fine, so he goes off with her. And they determine, exactly like I said with the Aura, they're trying to work out what's happening. They determine that they don't actually believe he's a god, of course. They're like, this has to be a trick. 
he very although Kirk does suppose it that he suppose it, I don't know why I said that word but he does surmise that Apollo is Apollo and this is what I wanted to say earlier he thinks this is not just an alien taking the shape of Apollo to amuse humans because they read our mind or our history or something he actually thinks this is Apollo he's like this is an alien using some form of machine or energy to do his tricks however I believe this entity has been to Earth in the ancient past and is the Apollo from our legends, as well as being not a god. Which is why I wrote in my notes, uh, Kirk, where is it? Kirk invents ancient astronaut theory. <laughs> for, for anyone that's watched Ancient Aliens, which is, I would suggest, it's an interesting show. It It pulls at a few straws that I think are pretty desperate at times for its arguments, but it is a decent show. It does make you think about some of that stuff, and like this idea of someone like this, an alien with great power from a 23rd century perspective in Star Trek, coming to a, god, what are the ancient Greeks, more than 2,000 years ago, we're talking about, so like a long, long time ago, humans, and charming them and convincing them that you're a god with that tech, I mean, that's really not that unbelievable. There are uncontacted tribes in the Amazon that I'm pretty sure if we use drones like we can to make light shows and stuff over the top of their tribe and started trying to convince them to do things, they'd probably believe we were gods too. Like, it's just the level of technology distance makes them appear godlike, so Kirk surmises that, yeah, I believe he was an alien that came to Earth and that those gods aren't real. However, I did point out, well, in my notes at least, I pointed out that uh, Kirk says something kind of interesting, which... <sighs> I don't know what to think about it in Star Trek, because they kind of go back and forth on it. He says, humanity has no need for gods, which is fine, that's what you would expect a Star Trek captain to say, but then he follows that up after a short break, and that's what makes me think that this was an editing choice. I feel like it wasn't originally in the script, because there is kind of an awkward gap in the middle before he says it. And he says, we are quite happy with the one we have. Now, like... Obviously, this is the 1960s America, so it's hard to do anything without Christianity getting a mention or being involved. But, like, Roddenberry tried very hard to keep Christianity in a lot of the modern-day religions and things that he saw as causing problems or being not a part of his idealistic future out of the show. But, obviously, there were some things he had to compromise on because you can't... He didn't own the network. At the end of the day, he had to make certain compromises or he wasn't going to be allowed to air his show. Now, he managed to fight them on not having a priest on board and not having the ship be overtly Catholic. Like, he did not want the, the ship to turn into a Catholic missionary ship. They were not Spanish inquisitors coming to alien worlds. They were explorers. He very much wanted to put out a different image. But there are certain things, like Captain Pike, we've said before, was actually Christian. And in newer Star Trek shows, where they talk about Captain Pike a lot, that's actually become a much bigger part of his character but I almost feel like that's not a bad thing, because we already see that overwhelmingly most religions are sort of gone by the Star Trek era, but they're also supposed to be a culture that is accepting of different belief systems, like they do it in the Federation with all the alien species with their different gods and things. Like, So if you were to decide you were a Christian or something in this world, theoretically you should be just fine to do whatever you want. However... It is interesting that Kirk would say that to an alien when he's basically being an ambassador for the Federation and he outright says, we're happy with the one we have. He almost says that like he's implying the whole Federation is Christian or follows that god. And that that's why I feel like that was probably one of those... Because this episode would have been really pushing on, I imagine, a few blasphemy laws to even put this out back in the 60s because 
yes, the Christian lobbies and stuff aren't going to have a problem with you saying the Greek gods were a myth, but they're also implying that all gods could be myths just using technology and they could be aliens, which in more heavily religious circles is seen as blasphemy, especially in the 60s when most Americans were very heavily Christian. Probably not something you want to paste all over your show if you want it to be picked up and supported by people. Now, I feel like this line was probably added in the post because I feel like this is an episode that if you looked into would have had a lot of back and forths between the writing through and the editor boards and the censorship boards because there's just so many topics here that back then, like I said, would have been so controversial and I feel like this line was added because when he first says it without the end of that line, without mentioning we're happy with the one we have, it sounds an awful lot like something Picard or one of the other captains would say. And then that line, not that, like, there's nothing to say Kirk isn't Christian. I don't think, like, I could be, there might be other references to it throughout original Trek, but, like, they're very vague. Being Christian is definitely not a big part of what Kirk's character is. He may be one, but he doesn't, like, prance around with it. He doesn't wear the cross on his neck. He's not talking about his gods or the character all the time. If he is Christian, it's a very private thing for him. Which makes it out of character, even if he is Christian, for him to be saying this to an alien. But anyway, I've gone on a whole tangent for that, but I just wanted to mention that, because that is one of those interesting... Some people, a lot of religious people, dislike Star Trek because they see it as just like an atheist dream world that shits on their religion. And some atheists admittedly get really annoyed when they see religion in the show because they see that as like, oh, that's stupid, we should have progressed past that. But truly, when you go out there, things like this Apollo ancient astronaut theory, like there are some theories that surmise that the two of them may not be all that different. Like, gods might not be God in the religious sense, but they could still exist in a very real sense like this Apollo did. You know, there, there is room for that argument. It's extreme on either end to say that you can't be one or the other. But some fans on both sides get uppity. But it is interesting that, like, back in the 60s, there was this big cultural push for, like, no, you need to make it more Christian, whereas today there's almost a kickback against Pike and some of these other characters being portrayed as Christians, which at this point is almost more interesting because... A, a Christian captain is actually something different. He's going against the grain of Starfleet. And they point out quite often with that show that, like, Pike is a minority. Most people on the ship do not share his faith. In fact, they find it weird that he has it. But they do respect it. So, like, it's interesting how that's changed. Now, one other quick note I wanted to bring up real quick. Just the very first of the checkoff lines comes up. Where they're trying to work out what's going on here. He says this could be... He just seems to have disappeared. At one point, Chekhov says, Apollo has just disappeared, like the cat in that story. And Kirk says, oh, you mean the Cheshire cat? And he goes, what, Cheshire cat? No, no, Minsk, I think. And Kirk just, like, cuts him off because Chekhov, while being a Russian character in the show, he's also supposed to be, like, a Starfleet character, so he is a future character, but he has this, like, it's not nationalist view or, like, pride of Russia, because obviously by this point, I don't think there is a Russia anymore. But, like... He's still proud of his heritage. Like, they're trying to show that Russians in the future... I think it was more of a thing that for anyone who was Russian watching the show. Like, just because your country is communist right now and calls themselves Soviets doesn't mean that you need to be wiped out for a good future to happen. Like, you can be a proud Russian in the future. You know, your current government doesn't necessarily depict what you are as a people, which was kind of cool. So they had Chekhov say that, and this is something he'll do a lot through the show. But also, <laughs> there was a line where Chekhov... At one point, says when Apollo first says, I am Apollo, god of humanity, Chekhov just sort of 
yells out at that point. I don't know why he doesn't let the captain speak, but he yells out, Yes, and I am the Tsar of all of Russia's. Which I've also noticed, I don't know, the Tsar of all of Russia's is a very weird term that only certain people use these days. I think it used to be more common. These days, when they do Russian characters, they tend to say things like, I am the Tsar of Russia. And they count Russia as, like, one state. I guess that's the post-Soviet idea that, like, Russia is one state. But, like, Russia has always been a collection of people groups. It's more of an idea. So the Tsar of all of Russia's instead of Russia is actually more accurate. But for whatever reason these days, it's not really used. And it was interesting that they chose to make Chekhov say that. Now, the one other off-topic thing that I want to talk about is at one point Kirk says, Chekhov, you've earned your pay. Which is another weird, like... In Star Trek, a big part of what makes Star Trek Star Trek and what separates it from so many other sci-fi and makes it kind of interesting is this idea that they live in a post-scarcity world like I've talked about before. So it's not that they're communist and they moved away from general economic practice. It's that economies work on supply and demand. And if you invent technology where the energy is renewable and basically cheap and real easy to run and that technology is giving you all that you need, well, at that point, you have an infinite supply, so there is no demand. So your economic system collapses, regardless of what your ideology is. So Star Trek is supposed to be this futuristic, humanity has solved all of its own problems through technology, so now we're exploring and we're learning, because what else do you do? There's no need to collect money, because anything you could need, you can get. You want a big house? Do you want to live away from people? Go to a colony. There are so many worlds out there. Go find a place where you could be probably the only person or one of the, like, five people on a whole planet somewhere. And you could build yourself the biggest mansion and palace you could ever imagine if that's what you want. If you want to pursue a career, you can go to a city where that's probably what people do because other people have gathered there. Like, it's meant to be this post-scarcity, basically, utopia. Now, realistically, that's not how it works. Even going forward in the story, we'll see the Federation is sometimes a bit more propaganda than it is truth outside of the main worlds like Earth. But that's meant to be the idea. And it's interesting that like they're still saying sayings like, check off, you've earned your pay. Now, I don't know if that's because at this point the Federation hasn't been formulated properly by the writing team and they don't know that that's the direction they're going necessarily yet. So there's still this vague... You, you know, you might still be getting paid for this job as a Starfleet officer yet. There might still be money, although money very rarely comes up in the discussion, so it's not really talked about, which means it could be true, it might not be at this point. Now, I don't know, I just thought that was interesting, because like I've said before, as of yet, there is no idea of exactly what the Federation is. They've sort of got backtracked a couple times and changed it. Even the word Federation has barely been thrown around yet. A lot of the time they were still saying Earth ships until quite far into Season 1. So, I don't know. The Star Trek is forming as we watch, and it's honestly been very interesting to watch that slow development like now i've noticed they do say federation they no longer say earthship this is the uss enterprise federation ship they don't say earthship anymore they don't haven't made any comments about conquering spock's people anymore spock's people are now seen to be an independent race a people with its own local governance that is not completely dictated to by the federation but a partner of humanity not a subject which is sort of different to what they had hinted at in the past so you're starting to see that like future trek and the way that it will end up being is starting to come forward and that's been really cool to watch it honestly has now we'll go back to the apollo story like it's not a 
amazing episode by any means. It's an interesting episode for a lot of the reasons I went over before, and because it's always interesting to have a god versus humanity type fight going on, David and Goliath type fight, people love those sorts of things where humans seem to have no chance of getting out, they make us the ultimate underdog and then we find a way to win anyway. So, throughout this story, Apollo keeps trying to convince them, you will serve me, you will dismantle your ship, you will use your artisans to build homes and you will hunt and give sacrifices to me and you will serve me for the rest of your lives but I will grant you everything you need in my garden and you know it sort of sucks because in like if he hadn't been so demanding there probably were crew members that would say that would agree to that I feel like I might even be willing to live on a world like that for a year or two like it could be nice I'll go give a sacrifice or two if you literally give me everything I want and let me chill out on a beautiful garden world that sounds like a great place to go. There could have been some cool compromise there, but Apollo is very uncompromising. You will serve or you will die. So they're forced to resist. Well, they're not forced to resist, but we're humans and we don't like being subservient to anyone because we're a bunch of stubborn chimps. So we would rather fling our shit at a god offering us paradise than live in it. Quite literally, that is who we are. <laughs> and I kind of love it. But, you know, Kirk proves that. They work out over, over time because he keeps popping back up He's giving them orders, and they keep sort of debating him or arguing with him, and then he breaks their guns, or he shoots one of them with lightning. Doesn't kill them, but like puts them in shock again. He just shows over and over throughout the episode that he has great powers beyond them. But they keep working out. Something's going on. He has power, but his power seems to drain. When he disappears from here, he's not just leaving by choice. Like, Chekhov actually makes the note saying... Last time he disappeared, he didn't say goodbye or when he'd be back. He seemed to go almost because he was exhausted. It was like he faded away. And then he says, Captain, you said he might have be using energy. And then Chekhov says, I think he's not so much generating energy himself, but he's channeling it through himself. I think that wherever he's going is because his batteries are running out and he needs to recharge. Which ends up being true. Now, during this time, I should go back to the Enterprise, because remember, Spock didn't come to the planet. So while all this is happening, we're cutting back and forth between Kirk and the crew and Caroline and all that down on the shit, down on the world with Apollo. And we're cutting back to Spock on the bridge, who is very competently, like, honestly, he's showing that he has command experience in this moment. It's, it's actually a really nice episode for Spock, even though he's discriminated against and left on the ship. It allows Spock to, as a character, be like, yes, in the last episode, he was emotionally untangled and he had to show a weak side of himself and that might have damaged your view on him in some ways. You might now see him as a more human character, which to him is insulting. He is half Vulcan. Calling him half human is like an insult to him, even though he is. He wants to prove that he's competent. And in this moment, he does. He's giving commands left, right, and center. He's got them scanning. He's handing over reports to this guy and saying, go to engineering. I found a way to use some kind of radiation in combination with the ship's engines. It's not going to be enough to bring down this Apollo shield, but it will be enough to make holes in it, which we can then communicate and fire through. So, you know, and he's doing all of this while coordinating everyone as a captain and administrator. He is still being the science officer, coming up with solutions and handing it off and then delegating it like... He's doing amazing. I should also say, everyone except Uhura and Spock went down. There's, there's no real reason why Uhura didn't go down. This is why I was confused a few episodes ago when she went down, because she is she's called the comm officer. And she does seem to be an officer, and there are times where she is given authority. I remember there's at least one or two times where she's actually given command of the bridge. But quite often in episodes like this, when they go down to planets with officers, they don't bring her. 
and yet sometimes she goes. I don't really understand exactly whether she's an officer or not. I, I, I get a little confused at times about exactly what her authority is and what rank she is or what her role is, but she stays. She is, you know, at one point there's a good little chat between Spock and Uhura. She's, like, reprogramming their comm system. She thinks that she has an idea about how she can communicate with Kirk and the crew down below through the shield. But it's not going to work on the standard array, so she has to go through and actually pull it apart, and she's doing some experimental things with the communication station. Spock leans down and tries to see, like, what's going on, and she says at least half an hour, and he says time is of the essence. And she just sort of points out, like, I don't normally do these things. I am not an engineer. What I'm doing I haven't done since my university days. I know what I'm doing and I will be able to do it, but I'm going to take time. And, you know, he actually quite nicely says, I can't imagine a better person for the job. Like, giving her props, like, you are the communications officer. Even Scotty and the other engineers don't do communications as well as she does. She is the expert in this field. And she does, I should add, get it eventually. She does actually end up breaking through the shield. Spock's plan also works, and he ends up eventually breaking holes in the shield that they can then fire through. And they manage to communicate with Kirk, who at this point has come up with the idea that, well, if he was drained last time he spoke with us, what we need to do is really drain him. We need to make him use his power time and time again until he is so drained that we might be able to beat him. Now, McCoy points out, the problem with that plan is that making him use his power is dangerous, and we might not all survive to do it. And Kirk says, so be it. We have to overcome him, whether we all survive or not. We need to drain his power, we need to distract him. So they come up with this plan that they're just going to all yell at him at once, different questions, they're going to resist everything he says, they're not going to work with him, they're going to force him to use his power and force at every instant until he is completely drained, no matter the threat to themselves. Now, it's actually a good plan, and at first it starts to work, and then Caroline steps in between them and tries to tell them all because she's obviously emotionally gotten involved with him now because he's, well, I mean, he's basically a god. He has powers. He is charming. So she, while she's not outright betraying them, she's kind of saying, is it really so bad here? Why are you fighting so hard? It is a nice place. He is lonely. He's here by himself. He just wants people around him. Perhaps in time he'll change. And, you know, She's kind of naive in this moment, she is wrong, but that is also the very Starfleet way to do things, usually it is through compromise. But again, Kirk is not your average Starfleet captain, he engages in a what uh, later on Spock will call cowboy diplomacy. He does things his own way. Which is why everyone loves Kirk, Kirk's great. So... Kirk comes up with a new plan, because Apollo comes down, she basically begs for their lives when Apollo is getting angry at what they're trying to do and convinces him to allow them to live. And he even says, I will allow you to live because she has asked, so you can thank her for your lives. But you can start preparing your crew. They will all be coming down here, you will dismantle your ship, and you will stay with me. I am done with patience. You will stay, you will serve me. There is no more questions that I will take. And then he disappears for a little bit. Now, at this moment, Kirk comes up with a plan with Caroline where he tells her, we need your loyalty. He says, I understand you've gotten close with him, but we need to use that. Now, we don't get to hear exactly what the plan is, but then she, after a little while them talking, responds with, you asked me to break his heart, and he says, think of all the lives on the ship. 
We're all going to be trapped here. We won't have the power to resist. Only you can stop him. All of our lives rely on you right now. Are you a Starfleet officer or not? And she's a bit upset by that because that's a lot of pressure. And it's kind of harsh because in some way she's right. He is a lonely alien. He is misusing his power, but he is doing so because he's lonely. He misses people. He wants people to stay. You know, he's kind of like a child, which is kind of a theme with these super powerful aliens going forward. A lot of these super powerful aliens are almost childlike in there. Sometimes they hurt people, but they don't do it because they're evil. They're just, they're so powerful and misunderstanding of the universe a lot of the time that they don't get it. Although, don't get me wrong, he is dangerous. He does have his hand on the ship and has proven that he can and will kill. So, like, you know, you can't take him lightly, but it is, there is room for a bit of sympathy there. But then she goes off with him, and we learn what Kirk's plan was. His plan was to basically break this alien entity's heart. This girl, Caroline, is forced to just tell him. She starts laughing at him and pretending she has no feelings for him and saying, you do understand I have to go back to the ship soon, right? You've been a fascinating specimen. And she talks to him as if he was nothing but a science experiment because she is the... Apparently, this is why she was actually on the mission, she is their history and ancient civilizations expert. Which, I'm seeing a bit of a theme of these history experts on the Enterprise turning evil a lot of the time. Although in this episode she doesn't, but it is interesting that that's the second time we've had one fall in love with a super powerful being beyond humanity. I wonder if there's some correlation between history students and uh, loving authority or something. I don't think there is, but it is interesting that Starfleet has now put that forward twice in the show, so, you know, but in this case, she does stay loyal to the crew, so she treats him like a science experiment, says, I need to get back to the ship, I've got more subjects that need claiming, and he loses it, he gets so angry, he's got his hands up in the air, he starts growing to a ridiculous height and channeling energy, I guess, because there's like a thunderstorm around him, and at that point... The whole world starts shaking a little bit from his energy, and Kirk, at that point, gets a beep on his communicator from Spock, who has just successfully managed to break holes in the shield, and says, Captain, what's going on down there? Do you need assistance? And Kirk basically tells him, Destruction near me. Can you see it on the scanners? If you can, I need you to open fire on it. Spock tells him they're too close, and they say they'll take cover, but fire, that is an order. So they run, and the Apollo throne... Well, it's like the throne that Apollo had been appearing in. It's got like a big stone. I don't know what you call it. It's like Acropolis or something. It's one of those big old Greek buildings with a throne in the middle. And apparently the machinery, whatever he was using for his power, is in there. So the ship manages to fire through. It takes a while. They like hit it. And then it's almost like the whole building starts to superheat as the phases are hitting it. Apollo actually realizes what's happening at that point. Goes to shoot at the ship, throwing energy. But unfortunately for him... The ship is already firing at his power source, so his powers are already weakened. He does hit the ship. We do see the Enterprise shake, and Spock just says, up the power to the shields, maintain phases. Very calmly, in a very Vulcan manner from his seat, and everyone follows his orders. And then Apollo throws another shot at him, except this time it's even weaker. Barely affects the ship, and Apollo kind of just lowers his hand, and he can tell he's, he's defeated. He's We watch the power source explode, he's got next to no power. And at that point, he very sadly, he doesn't even, like, get angry at the humans. He just sort of turns around, he looks up at the sky, and he says, You were right, my friends. Please take me back. And then there's, like, a gust of wind, because he's, like, calling out. Because throughout the episode, he's, there's been wee gusts of wind now and again. And he sort of says, You're wrong, Athena. 
or something like that. Like, I think they're trying to hint that, like, all the rest of these entities who used to be the Greek gods have ascended or become some other state that he has refused to do. Like, he doesn't want to progress with them yet. But they're still watching him, sort of, is the feeling you get. And then at the end of this episode, when he's defeated, he has no more power. He kind of looks up and just says, you were right. And then he physically starts to disappear. So presumably he goes to whatever plane they're on. Now I'll say, if they're ever going to revisit a storyline, I would love to see these guys come back. I think the Olympian gods coming back as like some kind of villain would be an awesome like season-long story arc. I would love to see them do that with modern CGI. But I don't know if that'll ever happen. Because at the start of the episode, I didn't mention again, but like I said, I mentioned about Apollo's throne... Now, this woman, Caroline, that's a history expert, was going through all the other buildings, because there are other buildings around this garden that are similar to Apollo's, but they're in states of disrepair. And she sort of goes around and she mentions a few other gods, like Athena and Zeus and Poseidon, and says that, you know, all of these buildings seem to be in disrepair, all except Apollo's. You know, sort of giving you this idea that, yeah, just like Kirk said, when they went to Earth, there was a them. It wasn't just this one entity taking the form of all the gods. Like, there were actually a group of gods, the, you know, Olympians, as humans would call them, that would have travelled to Earth probably together in either some kind of ship or just as a collective and played the role of gods. And Kirk even says at the end of the episode, as he's, like, stepping on the remains of Apollo's throne, he says, it is really a shame. A lot of what we have today is founded in the basis of Greek Greek society, ancient Greek civilization. And he says, you know, everything we have has come from them. And he looks around at the tombs and says, it's sort of sad that in some way these entities have shaped who we are. Then he kind of looks up and says, it's a shame it had to end this way. And then, you know, the episode ends, they go back up to the ship. It's one of, I always really like this episode because it kind of tackles this idea of man and God but also not in a really religious sense. It's more in almost a sad sense where you almost get left with a bit of sympathy for the god. Like he just, he was an alien. He was lonely. You know, how many other gods in human history are going to come up? Now that, I don't actually know. Oh, actually, no, I do know that that's a spoiler. I can remember now. Let's just say it's not a great episode, but at some point we're going to be meeting an Aztec god. And then it's going to be referenced again. Who knows why they decided to reference that, but they're going to reference it in Voyager again. And it's stupid, is all I'm going to (laughs) say. But we'll get to that when we get to it. That's going to be the Star Trek animated series, which is actually after the original series canonically. So we are going to watch it, and I am excited for that. Because to be honest, I think I've only seen about half of it. I've seen the first, like, maybe 10, 15 episodes, I think. And I think there's only, like, 30 of them. It's not very long. But that animated series kind of takes the place of what would have been seasons 4 and 5 of this show once it gets cancelled. So... Some of the voice actors come back and it's the same crew. And it's very short. It was a way of Roddenberry trying to continue Star Trek without, you know, the budget to properly continue it yet until he got the first movie off the ground. But anyway, that has been the episode Who Mourns the Edonians. Next time, we're going to be watching, uh, let me see. Seems it's an episode called The Changeling, which I'm kind of interested to see because there's quite a few changelings throughout star trek that's another sort of trope they like to lean on i don't quite remember who was the first one and i guess i'm about to find out thank you for saying bye thank you for listening and i'll see you all next time bye for now